Chapter Fifteen of Agnes Sorrel by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen. No season is without its beauty. No scene without its peculiar interest. If the great mountain, with its stony peak shooting up into the sky, has sublimity of one kind, the wide expanse of open country, moor or heath or desert, with its limitless horizon and many shaded lines, has it of another. To an eye and a heart alive to the impressions of the beautiful and the grand, something to charm and to elevate will be found in almost every aspect of nature. The storm and the tempest, as well as the sunshine and the calm, will afford some sources of pleasure, and, as the fading away of the green leaf in the autumn enchants the eye by the resplendent colouring produced, decay will be found to decorate and ruin to embellish. Take a winter scene, for instance, with the whole country covered with a white mantle of the snow, the trees and the forests raising themselves up brown and dim, the masses of dark pines and firs standing out almost black upon the light ground from which they rise, and the view extending far over a nearly level country, with here and there a rounded hill rising detached and abruptly from the plain, perhaps unbroken in its monotonous line, perhaps crowned by the sharp angles and hard lines of fortress or town. The description does not seem very inviting, but let us show how this scene varied during the course of the evening, as three travellers rode along at a quick pace, although their horses seemed somewhat tired, and the distance they had journeyed had undoubtedly been considerable. Toward three o'clock, a heavy grey cloud, apparently portending more snow, stretched over the greater part of the sky cutting off the arch of the concave and seeming like a flat canopy spread overhead to the southwest the heavens remained clear and there the pall of cloud was fringed with gold while from underneath streamed the horizontal light catching upon and brightening the slopes and throwing the dells into deeper shadow the abrupt hills looked blue and grand and raised their heads as if to support the heavy mass of grey above Gradually, as the sun descended lower, that line of open sky became of a brighter and brighter yellow. The dun canopy parted into masses, checkering the heavens with black and gold. The same warm hues spread over every eminence, and, as the sun descended further still, a rosy light, glowing brighter and brighter every instant, touched the snowy summits of the hills, flooded the plain, and seeking out in all its sinuosities, the course of the ice-covered river, flashed back from the glassy surface as if a multitude of rubies had been scattered across the scene, while the grey wood which fringed the distant sky blazed with a ruddy brightness pouring through the straggling branches as if a vast fire were kindled on the plains beyond. It was the last effort of the beauty-giving day, and all those three travellers felt and enjoyed it in their several ways. The sun went down, the hills grew dark and blue. Every eminence, and even wave of the ground, appeared to rise higher to the eye. The greyness of twilight spread over all the scene, but still upon the verge of the sky lingered the yellow light for full half an hour after day was actually done. Then through the broken cloud gleamed out the lustrous stars, like the brighter and the better hopes that come sparkling from on high after the sunshine of this life is done and when the clouds and vapours of the earth are scattered away. 
still the three rode on an hour before there had been visible on the distant edge of the sky a tall tower like that of a cathedral and one or two spires and steeples scattered round it told them that a town was in that direction the town to which they were bending their steps but all was darkness now and they saw it no more the road was fair however and well tracked and though it had been intensely cold during the greater part of the day the evening had become somewhat milder as if a thaw were coming on a light mist rose up from the ground as they entered the wood not sufficient to obscure the way but merely to throw a softening indistinctness over objects at any distance and as they issued forth from among the larger trees upon a piece of swampy ground covered with stunted willows jean charost for he was at the head of the party fancied he saw a light moving at some little distance on the left there is some one with a lantern he said turning to a stout man who was riding beside him Fer folle, replied the other we must not follow that my lord or we shall be up to our neck in a quagmire why such exhalations are not common at this time of year chauvin replied the young man exhalations or no exhalations rejoined the other they come at all times to mislead poor travellers all i know is that the short road to pithiviers turns off a quarter of a league further on exhalations said martin grille i never heard them called that name before malignant spirits i have always heard say who have lured many a man and horse to their death don't follow it sir pray don't follow it that would be worse than the baby business jean charost laughed as he replied i shall only follow the guidance of monsieur chauvin here he will lead me better than any lantern but it certainly does seem to me that the light moves on by our side it cannot be more than two or three hundred yards distance either that's their trick sir said chauvin they always move on and seem quite near but if you hunted them you would never come up with them i can tell you i did so once when i was a boy and well-nigh got drowned from my pains hark i thought i heard someone calling that's a new trick these devils have got i suppose in our bad times all pulled up their horses and listened but heard nothing more and rode on again till just as they were beginning to ascend a little rise where the snow had been drifted off the road and the horses hoofs rang clear upon the hard ground a loud shout was heard upon the left hallo hallo who goes there cried a voice some fifty or sixty yards distant give us some help here we have got into a quagmire and know not which way to turn for heaven's sake don't go sir cried martin grille it's a new trick of the devil depend upon it as monsieur chauvin says pull nonsense replied jean charost and then raising his voice he cried who is it that calls us what signifies that cried a stern voice if you are christians come and help us if you are not jog on your way and the devil sees you well call again as we come to guide us to you said jean charost for there is no need of us getting into the quagmire too let me go first sir and sound the way said the courier hallo hallo cried two or three voices as a signal and following the sound jean charost and the courier with martin grille a good way behind proceeded slowly and cautiously toward the party of unfortunate travellers till at length they could descry something like a group of men and horses among the willows about twenty yards distant it is true some of the horses seemed to have no legs or to be lying down 
and one man dismounted, holding hard, by a willow. "'Keep up, keep up, we are coming to you,' replied Jean Charost. "'It is firm enough here if you could but reach us.' The guide, who was in advance, suddenly cried, "'Halt there!' and at the same moment his horse's forefeet began to sink in the ground. "'Here, catch my rein, Chauvin!' cried the young secretary, springing to the ground. "'I think I see a way to them.' "'Take care, sir, take care!' cried the courier. "'No fear,' answered Jean Charost. "'From tree to tree must give one footing. "'There are some old roots, too, rising above the level. "'Stay there, Chauvin, to guide us back.' Proceeding cautiously, trying the firmness of every step, and sometimes springing from tree to tree, he came within about six feet of the man whom he had seen dismounted, and calling to him to give him his hand, he leaned forward as far as he could, holding firmly the osier near which he stood with his left arm. But neither that personage nor his companions were willing to leave their horses behind them, and it was a matter of much more difficulty to extricate the beasts than the men for some of them had sunk deep in the marsh, and seemed to have neither power nor inclination to struggle. Nearly an hour was expended in efforts, some fruitless and others successful, to get the animals out. But at length they were all rescued, and Jean Charost found his little party increased by six cavaliers in a somewhat woeful plight. The man whom he had first rescued, and who seemed the principal personage of the troop, thanked him warmly for his assistance, but in a short, sharp, self-sufficient tone which was not altogether the most agreeable. "'Where are you going, young man?' he said at length, as they were remounting their horses. "'To Pithivier,' answered Jean Charost as laconically. "'Then we will go with you,' replied the other, "'and you shall guide us, for that is our destination too.' "'That will depend upon whether your horses can keep up with mine,' replied Jean Charost, "'for I have spent more time here.' "'Then I can well spare.' "'We will see,' replied the other with a laugh. "'You have rendered us one service. "'We will try if you can render us another, "'and then thank you for both at the end of our journey.' "'Very well,' replied Jean Charost, and rode on. "'The other kept by his side, however, "'for the tall and powerful horse which bore him "'seemed none the worse for the accident which had happened. "'Armand Chauvin and Martin Grille "'followed close upon their young leader, and the other five strangers brought up the rear. The rest of the journey, of well-nigh two leagues, passed without accident, and the two foremost horsemen were gradually led into something like a general conversation, in which Jean Charost's new companion, though he could not be said to make himself agreeable, showed a great knowledge of the world, of life, of courts, of foreign countries, and displayed a somewhat rough but keen and trenchant wit which led his young fellow-traveller to the conclusion that he was no common man. The last two miles of the journey were passed by moonlight, and Jean Charost had now an opportunity of distinguishing the personal appearance of his companion, which perhaps was more prepossessing than his speech. He was a man of the middle age, not very tall, but exceedingly broad across the chest and shoulders, and his face, without being handsome, had something fine and commanding in it. He rode his horse with more power than grace, managing him with an ease that seemed to leave the creature no will of his own, and every movement, indeed, displayed extraordinary personal vigour, joined with some dignity. His dress seemed rich and costly, though the colours were not easily distinguished. But the short mantle, with the long furred sleeves, hanging down almost to the horse's belly, 
betokened at once to a Frenchman of those days the man of high degree. Although the young secretary examined him certainly very closely, he did not return the scrutiny, but merely gave him a casual glance as the moonlight fell upon him, and then continued his conversation till they entered the town of Pithivier. "'To what inn do we go, Chauvin?' asked Jean Charost as they passed in among the houses. But before the other could answer, the stranger exclaimed, "'Never mind, you shall come to my inn. I will entertain you, for to-night at least. Indeed,' he added, "'there is but one inn in the place worthy of the name, and my people are in possession of it. We will find room for you and your men, however, and you shall sup with me, if you be noble, as I suppose.' "'I am, sir,' replied Jean Charost, and followed where the other led. As they were entering the principal street, which was quiet and still enough, the stranger pulled up his horse, called up one of his followers, and spoke to him in a language which Jean Charost did not understand. Then turning to the young gentleman, he said, "'Let us dismount. Here is a shorter way to the inn, on foot. Your men can go on with mine.' Jean Charost hesitated but unwilling to show doubt he sprang from his horse's back after a moment's consideration gave the rein to martin grille and walked on with his companion up a very narrow street which seemed to lead round the back of the buildings before which they had just been passing the stranger walked slowly and as they advanced he said may i know your name young gentleman jean charost de bracy replied the duke's secretary and though he had a strong inclination he refrained from asking the name of his companion in return. There was something, he could not well tell what, that inspired respect about the stranger, a reverence without love, and the young secretary did not venture to ask any questions. A few moments later a small house presented itself, built of stone, it is true, whereas the others had been mainly composed of wood, but still it was far too small and mean in appearance to accord with the idea which Jean Charost had formed of the principal auberge of the good town of Pithivier. At the door of this house, however, the elder gentleman stopped as if about to enter. The door was opened almost at the same moment, as if on a preconcerted plan, and a man appeared with a torch in his hand. Jean Charost hesitated and held back, but the other turned after ascending the three steps which led to the door and looked back, saying, come in what are you afraid of the least suspicion of fear has a great influence upon youth at all times and jean charost was by no means without the failings of youth although early misfortune and early experience had rendered him as i have said before older than his years i am not afraid of anything he replied following the stranger but this does not look like an inn it is the back way replied the other and you will soon find that it is the inn thus saying he walked through a narrow passage which soon led into a large courtyard the man with the torch going before and displaying by the light he carried a multitude of objects which showed the young secretary that his companion had spoken nothing but the truth and that they were indeed in the courtyard of one of those large and very handsome auberges very different from the cabaret the gite and the repway all inns of different classes at that time in france two or three times as they went different men some in the garb of the retainers of a noble house dressed in gaudy colours some in the common habiliments of the attendants of an inn came from different parts of the court toward the man who carried the torch 
but as often a slight movement of his hand caused them to fall back again from the path of those whom he was lighting right in front was a great entrance door and a large passage from which a blaze of light streamed forth showing a great number of people coming and going within but to the left was a flight of half a dozen stone steps leading to a smaller door now closed to it the torch-bearer advanced opened it and then drew back reverently to let those who followed pass in a single man with a cap and plume appeared within at a little distance on the left who opened the door of a small room into which the stranger entered followed by his young companion jean charost gave a rapid glance at the man who opened the door whose dress was now as visible as it would have been in daylight and perceived embroidered in letters of gold upon his cap just beneath the feather the words ich haud they puzzled him for though he did not remember their meaning he had some recollection of having heard that they formed the motto or rallying words of some great man or some great faction the stranger advanced quietly to a chair seated himself turned to the person at the door who had given him admittance and merely pronounced the word supper for how said the attendant in an inquiring tone and it is probable that he was about to add the word many with some title of reverence or respect but the other stopped him at once saying for two speak with monsieur deep and take his orders see that they be obeyed exactly then turning to jean charost he said in a good-humoured tone sit sit my young friend and now let me give you thanks you rendered me a considerable service not perhaps that it was as great as you imagine for i should have got out somehow these adventures always come to an end and i have been in worse quagmires of various kinds than that but you rendered me a considerable service and what is more to the purpose you did it boldly skilfully and promptly you please me and during supper you shall tell me more about yourself perhaps i may serve you i think not sir replied jean charost for i desire no change in my condition at the present moment as to myself all that i have to say all indeed that i intend to say is that my name as i told you is jean charost seigneur de bracy that my father fought and died in the service of his country and that i am his only child but still most happy to have rendered you any service however inconsiderable the other listened in profound silence with his eyes bent upon the table and without the slightest variation of expression crossing his countenance you talk well young gentleman he said and are discreet i see do you happen to guess to whom you are speaking not in the least replied jean charost i can easily judge sir indeed that i am speaking to no ordinary man to one accustomed to command and be obeyed who may be offended perhaps at my plain dealing and think it want of reverence for his person that i speak not more frankly such however is not the case and assuredly i can in no degree divine who you are you may be the king of sicily who i have been told is travelling in this direction the duc de berry i know you are not for i have seen him very lately i am inclined to think from the description of his person however that you may be the count of st paul the other smiled gravely and then replied the first ten steps you take from this door after supper you will know for the greatest folly any man commits is to believe that a secret will be kept which is known to more than one person but for the next hour we will forget all such things make yourself at ease 
frankness never displeases me discretion even against myself always pleases me now let us talk of other matters i have gained an appetite by the way and am wondering what they will give me for supper i will bet you a link of this gold chain against that little ring on your finger that we have lark pies and wine of gatinois for on my life and soul i know nothing else that pithivier is famous for except blankets odds my life i forgot blankets and this is not weather to forget them prithee throw a log on the fire boy and let us make ourselves as warm as two old flemish women on martinmas eve but here comes the supper he was not right however it was the same attendant whom jean charost had seen before that now returned and whispered a word or two in his lord's ear ha said the stranger starting up who is with her our good friend no replied the other he has gone on for a couple of days to blois and she has no one with her but a young lady and the varletry beseech her to come in and partake our humble meal cried the other in a gay tone tell her i have a young guest to sup with me who will entertain her young companion while i do my devoir toward herself but tell her we lay aside state and that she condescends to sup with plain john of valois ah but my young friend you have it now have you he continued looking shrewdly at jean charost who had fallen into a fit of thought well well let no knowledge spoil merriment we will be gay to-night whatever comes to-morrow almost as he spoke the door was again thrown open and fair madame de giac entered followed by the young girl whom jean charost had seen at juvisy chapter fifteen